0: So first of all, I just wanted to kind of share uh, a little bit about who I am, um, and then we'll get into Mark 6, uh, 30 through 44, Jesus uh, feeding the 5,000. So as Andrew and Katie said, my name's Dalton, uh, Dalton Messer. I'm from Op, Alabama. Um, if you don't know where that is, welcome to most of the world. Uh, It's a small town in South Alabama. It's actually not far from where Brother Al grew up uh, in Florella, and many, many people have come from Op and the surrounding area uh, to Lakeview, have been interns uh, or part of Lakeview, and uh, have gone out into the rest of the world or come from Lakeview to Op and had a great influence on my life. Um, And so, yeah, I'm just really thankful for Lakeview uh, and all of the Lord's faithfulness uh, to Lakeview to continue to pour out his spirit and grace here uh, in the church and then also how it has influenced me. Uh, I'm a seminary intern with Pastor Brian um, in 2014. So this year actually marks uh, the 10-year anniversary of when I first decided to follow Jesus. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, yeah, kind of like opus, saturated with the gospel, kind of like you would think that Auburn is, uh, just on a much smaller scale. Um, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home, believing the gospel, quote unquote, really because it was the thing that everybody did. Right, I had this expectation that, hey, this is the right thing. This is what everybody does. Uh, this is what it means to be a good person. And so this is what I'm going to do. I made a profession of faith when I was uh, young, maybe Elementary school, my little brother um in a after an upward game or not game, but the upward award ceremony at the end of the year, it's just church league basketball they have a uh like a puppeteer or uh what's the word magician come and he does a little skid or whatever and incorporates a gospel presentation into it, and at the end uh leads anyone who wants to follow Jesus and have their sins forgiven in the uh lord's prayer and so at the end of that one year. My parents come down and as soon as they walk up, my little brother says, mom, dad, guess what? I prayed the prayer. Okay. So my little brother's three years younger than me. So we've got this like civil sibling rivalry going and me having this expectation to uh, be a follower of Jesus, be a Christian. Like that's the good thing. That's what good people do. It's the right thing to do. And also the sibling rivalry, my brother beats me to the punch. Right. And I'm like, mm, in that moment, and he says, I prayed the prayer. I'm like, Oh, shoot! I was supposed to do that first, right, and so I immediately just, oh, yeah, I did too. I prayed the prayer too, um my parents were Sunday school teachers for us, and so I knew all of the Sunday school questions about who Jesus is and what it means to ask him into your heart and that our sins are forgiven, that we don't get or we don't have to go to hell as a result right we get uh freed from the condemnation of God and so we, I answered all those questions, me and my brother, both. We were both baptized on the same day and a little bitty church. And I say little bitty, it's big for the area, but, uh, I know Baptist church in the middle of nowhere, uh, outside of Op. And from that point forward, kind of started living this lie, right? I knew that I hadn't truly trusted in God. It was really just a front for what people would see of me, right? I, I wanted to, Put this reputation out there so that i could have all the things that that reputation would get right people would trust me and i get this image of myself um and so I, I i sell the lie pretty good all the way up through high school become a leader in uh the youth ministry at westview baptist church um which some of you know um and graduate high school in 2013 So, yes, for all you college kids that I hang out with, I am very old um, in comparison to you guys. Uh, But graduated in 2013 uh, and moved to the University of South Alabama down in Mobile, uh, not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't really feel a strong passion towards any particular career field. Um, And so, like my parents and grandparents had always pushed, oh, you should be a doctor or you should be a, a lawyer or... You know, something that makes a lot of money. You're a smart kid. You can do it. You can get the grades. You go make a lot of money. And so going into college, not really having any real passion or desire about any career field, I decided to major in marine biology because I grew up fishing and loved the outdoors and was going to do pre-pharmacy so that uh, when one day I became a pharmacist, I could make lots of money, not working very hard, buy a nice boat, buy a nice truck a nice house, and have, you know, the American dream. I can not work real hard and go fishing all the time. Well, I moved to Mobile, uh, start going to class, not really, at South, um, and by the end of the semester, I finish with a 1.6 GPA. Fun fact, you're not going to get into pharmacy school with a 1.6, Right? It's tough to get in with a 3.5. And so as the semester had gone on, being two and a half hours away from home and in just a completely different culture from op and like the gospel-saturated culture uh, that it is in Mobile, and being out of church and away from my parents, I'd become kind of homesick, uh, but also pretty depressed. Um, as a result, I'd begin asking questions about, you know, is God real? What happens after I die if he's not? How do I know if he's real? And by the end of the semester, being away from home and asking those questions, like extremely depressed, um, also like reality check with what's going on in, in school and for the rest of my life, uh, decided to move back home uh, to kind of get a fresh start with college, and to be back with my family and the girl that I had been dating for about three years at that point. And so I move home and uh, a few weeks after I move home, the girl dumps me. Uh, As you could imagine, you know, you could probably could have called that one. Um, And like not knowing really what I want to do with my life. And uh, like, if God is real, I've put my, all my hope, all my uh, purpose in life I've, I've begun to see is in this relationship, all right? We're going to get married and be a happy family, and that's, that's what life is about, right? Just my own happiness. If, if God's not real, then what's the point, right? Just be happy. And so she dumps me, and i just utterly devastated, right? Uh, and in, immediately go and try to fill that void, right? Uh, looking for a new relationship, a new girl to, yeah, give me happiness and joy, um, but it didn't work, right? It didn't. It didn't fill the void. It doesn't. No one can fill the void, and as I soon learned, other than God, right? In January of 2014, um, one morning I'm up super early, uh, getting ready to go hunting with my dad, and I really don't know how to explain it to you. Other than the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and when someone speaks to you, like you can't deny their existence, right? You know that they are real, and so I can feel God speaking to me. And in, in the midst of all the darkness, the light breaks through and I fall on my knees in surrender to, to Jesus, um, trusting that he is my savior. And like knowing, right, whenever he first starts speaking to me and I realize, oh, he's real, I feel this just utter terror of, man, I know I was taught all my life growing up. I'm a sinner separated from God and I deserve wrath and condemnation, right? And it's coming. The judgment is coming. And so I'm terrified. right? An almighty creator God who spoke all of creation into existence, like his wrath and judgment, condemnation, waits over my head. I'm terrified. okay? And so then the very next uh, thing that the Spirit brings to mind is he's not angry with me. Right? Just a flood of peace and gratitude and thankfulness uh, washes over me. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place, right? Wow. You know? Utterly speechless, right? I get up. I go into the rest of life now having not only trusted in Jesus, but surrendered my life to him. And I begin that question that I was asking uh, of myself that fall in Mobile, what is the point of life? What's... What is my purpose? What's Why am I here? I began asking God that. I began reading his word to find those answers. I'm back in the local church. I'm being discipled by uh, a guy uh, in the local church. And I just really begin to see, uh, as, as we see in uh, Genesis chapter 1, right? The very first story. He made us in his image to know him, right? To walk with him. And as he tells um, Adam and Eve, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth um, with his image, right? That's the picture there. You're filling the earth with the image of God. How about evangelism? There you go. So what does it mean? I began asking myself, what does it mean to fill the earth with the image of God? What does it mean to know him and to walk with him and to make him known? And uh, as I began wrestling with those questions and um, talking with Nate about them, the guy who was discipling me, Really felt a call to ministry, and um, over the course of the next year and a half, went on two trips to Haiti and kind of decided, hey, I'm going to come to Auburn, uh, get a degree in horticulture, and then do the intern program here with Brother Al, uh, and then go overseas. And so, move here, uh, August 2015 finish my degree in horticulture, my undergrad in horticulture in 2018, go to grad school because Brother Al's discontinued the um, intern program, and I'm trying to figure out what the next step with life is and how what what's God's plan for me. And so I'm thinking maybe med school, so I go get a master's in horticulture, kind of en route to med school, uh, which is also en route to the missions field. And um, I finish my uh, master's in December 2020. Um, during the year of COVID, and just kind of felt like maybe med school's not the route for me. Uh, Didn't quite make the grades in grad school for for med school, you know. Um, Did pretty good other than that, but um, also felt called to go more quickly. And so I started working on getting rid of uh, student loans, Went, I was, got a job, excuse me. I started teaching in uh, Montgomery at Robert E. Lee. Uh, which I'm very thankful for that opportunity. I uh, was teaching environmental science. Um, got plenty of opportunities to share the gospel there. It was a great time. I'm very thankful to the Lord for that. Uh, but also during that time, kind of felt this uh, kind of call away from being a teacher um, and move, kind of being able to invest more in the community around Auburn and being prepared uh, for the field. And so I uh, started working for a landscape company here um, before, for about a year before starting the intern program back this August. Uh, and so all that being said, I'm fresh into seminary and the intern program. I haven't had all of the great preaching classes and uh, theology classes that um, Aaron and uh, Brian and Kevin have all had that, you know, especially the ones where you learn how to alliterate really well. So I don't have those points all alliterated this morning for you, but um, yeah. Uh, so we'll jump in Mark, uh, 630 through 44. Uh, and as you're turning there, if you've not already made it, I'm going to kind of walk us through, um, up to Mark. So we want to get the, the context to kind of see where we're at in Mark, what Mark's doing with this passage and where he's going with it. Uh, kind of what is the the purpose of this passage here? Um, so Mark starts his gospel in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He don't waste any time, right? He's immediately, right? That word is over and over again throughout Mark, immediately. Jesus immediately went and did this. Mark jumped right in. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he opens with, or he introduces John the Baptist with this quote from uh, Isaiah and Malachi in uh, verse two and three. And really, just essentially to say, hey, John the Baptist is coming to prepare the way for the Messiah, who we're gonna see as Jesus. And um, to also kind of like, he is the one uh, who's come to fulfill all the prophecies from the Old Testament, right? We, you'll see that he's the new and better Adam, right? The, the song, Christ the True and Better. He's a new and better Adam, he's the new and better um, Abraham, Moses uh david uh the new and better prophet priest and king and so um immediately after introducing john uh, jesus gets baptized by john in the jordan You you see the spirit coming and descending on him like a dove and the voice from heaven that says this is my beloved son with you i am well pleased and then immediately the spirit drives him out into the wilderness where he's tempted And Mark doesn't give us an explicit, hey, Jesus passed all the tests. But the very next stories, Jesus begins his ministry. He calls his disciples, and he heals a man with an unclean spirit. So though Mark doesn't explicitly say, hey, Jesus passed the test, he says, Jesus just cast cast out all these demons. So he has power over the spiritual realm, right? So obviously, Jesus passed the test, right? He's the one that we're looking for. And so then you go through... um, chapters 2, 3, and 4, and 5, and you get stories of Jesus healing and teaching, um, really just pointing to, hey, Jesus is the Messiah, right? He's the new and better Moses. Here in uh, verse um, 11, no, uh, when Jesus begins his ministry in um, verse 15, it says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And so you begin to see um how the time is here. Jesus is healing he's teaching um, he's teaching us about who are uh, disciples what is the kingdom of God what does it mean to be in the kingdom of god um, and then you get to um mark six verse seven, and Jesus sends out his disciples right so Two of the big, or the big theme of Mark is who is Jesus, right? He's the Christ, the Son of God, uh, the Messiah. Another prominent theme in Mark is discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? Uh, How do you make disciples? What is Jesus doing with his disciples? And so you see in uh, Mark 6, verse 7, he calls the 12 and he sends them out two by two, Uh, which like if you... Mark 1 through 5, he's gone through with his disciples doing the preaching and the teaching and the healing. Now he says, okay, now it's your turn. You go out. You preach and teach and heal. And so, Mark 6, verse 30, and we'll go ahead and read the story. uh, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, "Come away by yourselves to a desolate place, and rest awhile; for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things." And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So, what do we see, right? We just saw in Mark um, 6 where Jesus sends out the his disciples, and they've now come back, and they go to talk about it, right? They tell Jesus everything that they had saw and done. And so, like, pointing to discipleship, right? What is discipleship? a word that is one of those that, that gets used over and over and over again in the church. And it's like, sometimes I think, you know, we hear words so often that they begin to kind of lose meaning, right? Discipleship, discipleship. Yeah, how do I do that? I'm supposed to do that. What does that look like? Jesus is giving us an example in all of his gospels of how to do that, right? And so one of the th- ways that I like to think about discipleship, I was taught from uh, our MOBE team I don't remember who exactly it was on the team, but uh, there's this acronym called M.A.W.L., M.A.W.L., M.A.W.L. Now, it's not like actually brutalizing your disciples. That'd be bad. But, so, M.A.W.L., model, assist, watch, leave. All right? So, model, Mark 1 through 5, we see Jesus doing the modeling, right? He goes out, he teaches and preaches. They're watching him, right? You get to Mark uh, 6, 7 through Uh, 13, and he sends them out. All right, everything that you just saw me do, you go do it, right? Just like in any other class that you're learning, say, math, right? You're learning math. What do you do? You go to lecture, teacher shows you the theory, you take notes, you maybe work through an example problem or two in class, they give you homework, say, go home and do it. You come back the next day, or whenever your class meets again, and you go over the homework, right? Right? Let's work through it. Well, where did you mess up, right? So Jesus is here working uh, through everything the disciples had gone and done, um, raising them up to be the laborers, right, that he's going to send them out to be. And one of the things that they immediately uh, get into is they are tired, right, Um They've gone and preached and taught and they come back and Jesus says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And so one of the like large, like this is the thing of discipleship. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be with him, right? To rest with him, to abide. As as Jesus says uh, in John, I am the true vine, abide in me and I in you, right? And so that he's saying, come abide with me, come rest, and uh so they go and then what happens? Right? They go and they're trying to get away to rest, and the crowds see them leaving, right? This man who's been doing all of these miracles, healing our sick, casting out demons. In uh chapter five, he raises uh Jairus' daughter from the dead. There he is. Yeah, I'm going over there. I'm going to him. And so they run there and the di- the disciples are thinking, oh, finally we're going to get a break, right? We're going to get to rest. And then the crowd shows up and so, okay, we're not going to complain. We're going to get to work. Jesus is working. We're going to work. And he says to them, or they say to them, send them away as it gets late. And, you know, they're like, okay, we've had enough, right? We were already tired. We just worked. Let's send them away so we can get some rest. And, uh, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And the, the emphasis there is the you. Like, you give them something to eat. And the disciples are kind of dumbfounded. Like, there, there are thousands of people here. We don't have anything. How are we going to feed thousands of people? Like, come on, bro. Now, Jesus has just calmed the waves and the uh, wind in, in Mark 5, right? he's asleep in the back of the boat while they're going through a storm and he gets up and he calms the seas and now he's telling these disciples, all right, you give them something to eat and they're like, how? With what food? Thinking surely he's kidding, right? Surely this is going to be another parable. And no, uh, how many loaves do you have? Go, Go and tell me how many loaves do you have? And so they come back, and there's five loaves and two fish. Like, this is all we got, Jesus. You know, hey, you really think that this is going to work? And so what does Jesus do? He says, great. Uh, Five loaves and two fish is all that it will take uh, to feed the masses. Um, And so he has them sit down in the groups, and uh, he blesses the loaves and breaks it up and divides it out. And so... The disciples come back tired, unbelieving that Jesus is able to feed the 5,000. They don't understand, right? How many of us are like the disciples? How many times do we come back to Jesus after having gone out and we come, or, or seeing him work a mighty miracle in our lives and we come back and Jesus says, go and do again. And we think, I, I don't have the ability to do so. Uh, I'm exhausted. There's no way I can feed 5,000 people, right? Maybe uh, it leads to us becoming selfish. Maybe it leads to us complaining, saying we don't have enough, Jesus. We we start to look inwards. Um, And so, the good news there is that uh, as John really paints out in this picture that Jesus is the good shepherd right he not only can calm the wind and the waves and the seas he is the good shepherd who can multiply the lows he can take your uh, little your scarcity and multiply it into abundance and so Mark uh, is painting here this picture in uh, chapter 6 he, he's pointing back to Psalm 23 right you see um, he, in verse 34, um, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Okay. Uh, why are, he has compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. He makes them sit down in the green grass, right? Mark is intentional. The green grass, right? Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Where are they other than in sitting in the green grass? They've just come across on a boat where he calmed the wind and the waves, right? The waters are still. Not only by the still waters, but in ancient Israel, occupied by Rome, right? Their enemies, right? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And what has Jesus just been doing before this, right? He's been teaching them. He's been leading them in paths of righteousness, right, for his name's sake. And not only uh, do we see Jesus as the good shepherd um, through Psalm 23, but John 10, right? What does John 10 tell us about the good shepherd? Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, right? He doesn't leave when the wolf comes or when the enemy comes or the thief, he lays down his life for the sheep he's not only uh, laying down his life for the sheep but also if you look back to King David where was he before he was a king he was a little shepherd boy right Samuel goes and anoints him David comes and he does what he slays Goliath with five stone or with one stone he takes five it only takes one uh Here Jesus takes the five loaves, multiplies it, right? So Jesus is the king of Israel, right? He's come to be the king. He's come to conquer and defeat evil and Satan and free uh, his people from oppression. He's also uh, the new and better Moses, right? He's sat all the people down uh, in the wilderness and he's fed them with bread, right? Loaves, five loaves. And so, the five loaves kind of, and the five loaves and the the five stones from David, pointing kind of also back to Moses, uh, who also gives us or gave Israel the five um, books of the Torah, right? So kind of the the point there being, hey, how do you overcome and defeat uh, the enemy, right? Just as you see in, Um, that Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, how do you defeat the tempter with the word of God, right? The five stones representing the five books of the Torah, the law, right? How do we know God and walk with him and overcome uh, sin crouching at the door with the word of God, right? We must be immersed with it. We must use it. As as Kevin would say, when temptation comes, if you've memorized scripture, you just leave the temptation and go to another neighborhood in your brain, right? Where you've been memorizing that scripture, you start quoting uh, Ephesians or Philippians or whatever it is you've been memorizing, and it's hard to walk in sin when you're quoting scripture, right? So Jesus is leading his people in paths of righteousness, uh, freeing them from oppression. He's providing also their every need, right? Not only is... uh, the law, or yeah, is the law of God. Um, what we need to defeat the enemy, it's also what we need for everyday sustenance with Him. Right? I am the bread of life, manna from heaven. Right? Here it is. You you, you need uh, sustenance. You need something to get you through another day. Go to God's Word. Find all that you need. And so. <clears throat> Um, the good news for us tired and broken and lonely disciples and followers of Jesus is that the good shepherd is here to give us everything we need. He's here to conquer the enemy. Right, His staff, his rod and his staff comfort me. He uh, fights off the enemy for us. He leads us in paths of righteousness, makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us by still waters. He is the good shepherd. Uh, so what I would like for us to do, um, as we have a good 30-ish minutes left, uh, 15-ish minutes left. Okay, 1045. I don't know why I was thinking 1045. Um, we got 15 minutes-ish uh, left. What I would like for you to do uh, is talk around your tables about how, here's my. Um, you, how, how, how is Jesus providing for you today? How have uh, you been, um, in need and how has he provided? How also have you been failing, uh, to give him glory and, and praise for the good things that he's given us, right? The big, uh, the chief sin of Israel in the wilderness is that they grumble and complain when God continues to provide manna from heaven for them, right? Israel in time of David, they don't follow their good King, right? They go astray. They follow pagan gods. As Kevin has been preaching through Philippians, um, Philippians two says, uh, I'm butchering it. Um, Essentially don't grumble and complain, right? Uh, In the midst of a, Wicked and crooked generation, rather give thanks to God, right, so that you may be as lights in the midst of this wicked and crooked generation. So, uh, talk around your tables about how you have been. Maybe you've been rumbling or complaining, or how has this um, felt need maybe turn into a a, like a a perspective of scarcity? How God is not providing enough, Um, and repent from that. Give thanks and confess. Um, that he is good and that he is providing all you need. Pray for one another um, and talk about how um, the Lord can begin working in your life, as he did through the disciples to feed the five thousand. Right, because not only does Jesus provide for the five thousand, he doesn't just give them the bread themselves. Him, himself, he does it through the disciples.